Welcome everyone to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jonas Antonsen, Sebastian Forstrom, Robin Sedehum and Vola Volha Shanova to discuss the future of marketing games too. Before we begin, let's start with some introductions. Jonas, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, yes, my name is Jonas Antonsson. I'm originally from Iceland, currently live in Sweden, have been here for a decade. Uh, worked in games for about 20 years, um, uh, set up set up multiple companies in the space from uh, everything from development to publishing. Currently, I set up, uh, I'm running a company called Raw Fury here in Sweden, which is uh, an indie publisher that I set up back in 2015. Great. Moving on to Sebastian. Sebastian, could you, could you introduce yourself? Uh, yes. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Sebastian Forsström, and uh, I am currently working at uh, with a team at Paradox Interactive called the New Games Team, and we look at uh, basically everything third party for, for Paradox, all the new stuff that we have coming in. But my background is in marketing, uh, so I used to be a product marketing manager. Uh, actually, together with uh, Robin, Robin and I, we have actually launched a game together. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's kind of before before I got into gaming uh, a few years ago. Uh, I used to be in advertising, so it's quite quite a jump, I guess. Uh, so yeah, that's me. Awesome, Robin. How about you? Hey, uh, so my name is Robin. Uh, born and raised in Sweden. Worked in the games industry for 13, 14 years, something uh, primarily in publishing. I mean, like Sebastian mentioned, I worked at Paradox for quite some time, uh, where I met both Jonas and Sebastian. Um, currently working at Coffee Stain uh, Publishing. Uh, have primarily a background in production, but I've been a bit all over the place uh, sometimes. That's lovely, me. lovely. And Volka. Hello, guys. So my name is Volka, and I work as user acquisition manager in Textile Games, a game publisher and developer based in Copenhagen. And I have worked for around eight years in marketing, and I worked in small companies of 30 people and also in big corporations of 3,000 people, and also have an experience of working both with PC and mobile games. Fantastic. So everyone has a question or statement on the future of marketing. So I want to start with Sebastian. What is your question and the context behind it? Uh, so my question is, if you have to choose only one channel to spend your money in, uh, for you know a given marketing campaign, uh, which would it be and why? And I, I realize this is, I mean, it's not just my context, but it's also contextual depending on where you work. So in mobile, it would be different, PC would be different, and, and etc. But the re the reason why I asked the question because the question is kind of like when when I thought of it the the first time, I was like, ah, that's too that's too basic. Like, but but it, it always comes down to in marketing, I think, what moves the needle, right? What's what's a good investment and marketing is also kind of a 50 percent science 50 percent art kind of thing so it's 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 you know it's, it's kind of a question that i always 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 wrestle with uh, you know how, how do i prioritize um so so i, I uh, that's where it's coming all right i'm gonna ask volka to start off on this question Volka, what do you think perfect <laughs> so i think that i'm a right person to answer this question because my responsibility as a user acquisition manager is basically to find such a channel that will bring us the most, uh, the greatest performance. And um, I will be a little bit captain obvious here. And I will say that uh, first, this utopian channel should be the best in terms of ROI. And it, it comes obvious because we need to understand that every dollar that we are spending will bring us more more 
even more dollars. And second part is scale. So it's good to have a channel that costs us five whales, but still we should be scaling. We should uh, we should be finding more audience, more users for our games. And third, uh, which is like the most important for me, not the most important, but that covers the first two points is this channel should be perfectly tracked. So we should see how many users came, how many they've spent, how many we've spent. And uh, this third point can be justified by the situation that we see right now on the mobile market with Android and iOS. When iOS introduced this new uh, privacy policy, we've noticed how budget on iOS was decreased just because marketers could not see transparently when we're, oh, how we're spending our marketing budget. And uh, in future, we also, not like we are looking forward, but <laughs> we should uh, face the uh, same situation with Android, with the new Google policy introduced by uh, Google. And that's why I would bet on Google ads, Google adver advertisement, because it's one ecosystem and they would find out how to better advertise um, mobile games having this a new privacy policy uh, in, uh, like in life. Um, and also judging by the campaigns we're having right now, I can trust Google Ads, I can see that their performance. So th that's why my bet would be on this. But of course, this this the question that cannot be answered <laughs> because all the projects, all the uh, games are different. And sometimes you, you should put all your $100 on influencers. Who knows? No, exactly. And I like the phrasing of the question because it's if, what would you choose? So we can see where everyone's different perspective is. So I want to take this to Jonas. Jonas, what do you think? Well, I mean, we, we, we obviously work uh, uh, in a different uh, sector of the games industry. Not so much on mobile and what we do on mobile is is all premium games um and we we are very focused on on kind of uh the independent space the, the 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 indie titles uh and there i think that that if i would and i'm going to rephrase the question a little bit if i would spend the marketing budget and i could only spend it on one thing uh, versus one channel for us uh, usually the most the most uh, important thing is good assets, good trailers, good uh, good visuals that allow us to get into showcases, uh, that allow us to get uh, um, um, hype the hype going, basically. So spending money on the assets is actually a very important part for for what we do, rather than necessarily buying views or buying uh, buying traffic to like uh, the the platforms which are, which are predominantly Steam. And then the consoles, right? And then consoles. Uh, it's very, very hard to um, to 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 follow any sort of a ROI metric from uh, online ads to console sales. Uh, so it's a very different world. But the assets for us is is very is a very important uh, factor. Uh, so yeah. So that's if I could pick one thing, that's where I would put put the money. Nice. I like that. Literally the opposite. <laughs> you can't track it. Uh, you can't track an asset. And I, I love that. I love the explanation as well because I feel like. Um, bringing in that word of mouth and the maximizing the chance of the word of mouth is to have those great assets. Awesome. I'm going to take it to Robin now. Robin, what do you think? So when I saw this question, first of all, I was uh, considering what the actual definition in this context of channels would be. Uh, because we're, if we're talking about spending money, I would answer it pretty much exactly the same uh, that Jonas did, uh, where I would spend my money on good trailers. Uh, I need other assets as well, but usually all other assets like there are, they don't necessarily, uh, they are important, but they don't necessarily cost money per se, but uh, creating a good trailer tends to cost money. If nothing else, it takes time and time is money. So 
so that being said, like I would say something like, you know, YouTube or whatever, because that's where I want the trailer to reside and that's how I want people to be able to uh, to get a hold of it and get a good uh, idea of what our game looks like and how what it plays like. Uh, but then there's like I was thinking there's other types of channels we could be talking about as well, where it's like if I, if I want to reach good amount of players, then I'm going to be very torn between like, should I focus all efforts on press coverage or should I focus efforts on influencers? Uh, but then again, that's not necessarily a uh, a matter of money uh, either, because that's more of a like building relationships, having, you know, the finding the good timing of getting in touch with different uh, press outlets or influencers to kind of run a successful campaign or getting news about your game out there. But uh, if we're talking strictly about like where do you want to spend your budget, I would say uh, assets same as Jonas. Um, Otherwise, I would say I'm confused and can't decide between press and influencers to get uh, the message out there. I think that's a good problem to have. If you have two channels that work, then that's amazing, right? I mean, that's that's a good problem. Awesome. Uh, Seb, I want to bring it back to you. Uh, how have you tried to answer this question? Thanks for the answers, by the way. That that's kind of that was kind of the intention behind behind the question as well. Because I was kind of suspecting that everyone would read it in a different way. Um, the w- the way that I read it when I post, you know, when I post the question is is uh, you know which what with like what Jonas said, like which what thing. And uh, I, I think it's great that uh, Volka said because you you are you are very like classic user acquisition, right? It's like you, you actually have the channels lined up. Uh, for, for, for me, it's right now, I'm leaning towards um, influencers on YouTube, honestly. And there's several reasons for why. Uh, one, because it's kind of when you're in the PC console space, which is where I work most of the time, uh, same as uh, Robin and Jonas, it's very, very hard to target, I think. But it's much easier to target if you just go by the types of games that YouTubers Play. Then it becomes easy all of a sudden, right? And uh, uh, I think that in my experience, that's where I've had the most luck, like putting putting a bulk of the money in. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a balance as well between getting people, like getting channels on YouTube that people watch, you know, a lot of, that get the reach, but also that are good enough with the game and that are entertaining on their own, that they actually provide, you know, they inspire some sort of action or they... They, uh, you know, getting getting one million views is not the same thing as getting one million views, right? You can get a hundred thousand views on something, but you're gonna sell ten times more than on that other thing. If you have someone who's playing the game, who's enjoying it, and who looks like they're enjoying the game that they're that they're playing, right? Uh, but still, I think I think most of most of our audience is on YouTube. I'm, I'm pretty sure, and I think it also lends, you know, as long as you're upfront that you're actually it's a sponsored video and and uh, and whatnot. I think it's the one which lends the most legitimacy to the game as well right it's like this is the game this is how you play it um uh, so yeah that's gonna be my answer right now but like i switch i switch constantly uh, between extremes on this one and that's why i thought it was interesting to get your thoughts awesome i'm gonna bring that to jonas as i see he's raised his hand uh what are you thinking well just uh just as an add-on to to kind of where i was coming from also i mean we, we we're uh raw fury is a publisher and we publish such a big variety of games so so 
the, the generic question was like, uh, you know, where do you spend the money? Generically, it's going to be the, the assets, a good, good trailer, like Robin said. But then it would depend on the type of game. Does it fit with influencers? Does it fit with, with um, doing campaigns with, with, you know, a broad media outreach? Does it, um, which kind of showcase does it fit into? Like, all, these are all channel questions. Like what channel is going to fit this particular game best? And what, what narrative, what story is the best one for it? So but that, that's, uh, that's kind of a, um, uh, a derivative uh, that is more tied to a specific game rather than in our case, a portfolio of games. So, so the generic answer is, is assets, but of course, then depending on which game, uh, you'd utilize different channels, different ways to reach an audience based on what type of game you have on your hands. Lovely. I'll bring this to Robin and then we move to the next question. Uh, Robin, what are you thinking? Thank you. Uh, no, I just wanted to also emphasize uh, what Sebastian said or like agree in particular that if you find the right influencer, you know your game is a good fit for that influencer, finding a way of collaborating where they get a chance to give their honest to God opinion uh, about how they experience the game, I think is invaluable because like I'd never want to basically pay an influencer just to, like play our game and even worse like using that money to i don't know sway them into speaking positively about it because it becomes fake i mean it doesn't feel genuine but if you see somebody playing the game they really really enjoy it that's where i think the value in influencer collaborations is 100 percent. i'd second that as a consumer um, when you know it's honest and it's trustworthy you like it and if you know it's dishonest that can ruin my perspective of the company for forever, potentially, if the consumer is like savvy enough. Awesome. Let's move on to the next question, which is Jonas. Jonas, what is your question and the context behind it? Well, my question was, uh, how is the outlook in the games industry in the next 12 to 24 months? And what are the biggest influences of, of the future we're heading into? And uh, just to give this some flavor and context, I mean, obviously, we're coming out of we're coming out of a period uh, of of, uh, of COVID, uh, where we saw, uh, as an industry, we saw, um, especially early on, we saw a rising sales, at least across uh, PC and consoles, uh, which then kind of tapered off, and and there was a backlash in it. Now we're going into um, we're going into a time where there's a lot of inflation around the world. Uh, there are a lot of uh, questions being posed in the economies where. Uh, are, are, are historically our biggest revenue generators, which is the uh, Western European and, and, uh, and uh, North American economies. Um, and then obviously there's pressure on, 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 on most other economies as well. So I'm interested to know, to, to get the, the, the thoughts of all of you on that. Great. Let's start with Robin. Robin, what do you think? Fantastic. I think this is the most difficult question to answer. Uh, <laughs> it's a really good one. Uh, and there's like a, I don't know, I had a buffet of potential answers. I mean, we could like, uh, I'm just going to float a few of the things that like cross my mind, just to put it out there. Uh, feel free to steal them if you haven't got an answer for this yourself. Uh, but I mean, anything from, you know, we see a trend where more and more uh, both studios and publishers get acquired and sort of like merge into these like super organizations. Uh, I mean, um, I work at Coffee Stain. We're part of Embracer. Embracer basically is trying to buy up all, all the <laughs> the game industry talent right now. But you have like EA um, as well, um, all that stuff. So that could be a thing. But then again, I don't honestly think that that's necessarily going to impact the game's market. So, but of course, it's going to have an impact on the industry. 
but I don't think it necessarily going to influence the type of games we're going to see people uh, buy and play or the way that people are going to buy and play games necessarily. So that had me move into the direction of like what type of games are we going to see and what kind of like trendsetters are we going to see that is going to influence uh, the industry moving forward. I think that is going to be a big thing, but I have no idea, obviously, because I'm, I can't predict the future. I have no idea what the next big trend is going to be, but I think in the next 12, 24 months, we're definitely going to see another big like game or uh, trend in gaming that's going to like uh, make a mark because we do that almost, I mean, every other year or so that happens. I think that's going to happen again. Uh, and then there's also business models. Like we've seen a, not necessarily shift. I know when a lot of like uh, subscription um, uh, monetization made it onto the market, I think a lot of people expected that to like start dominating, but I think that's likely more similar to uh, the way sort of free to play entered um, the industry a long while back where everyone thought like this is going to be sort of the new way that games are made like everything's going to be free to play but it's not it's just like everything is just broadening and I think that's what's happening with subscription services as well uh, so that's going to be a thing but I don't think that's going to like replace premium uh, premium games uh, either speaking primarily for PC consoles here uh, I know Voha you might have another, a different perspective here but um, so those are a couple of answers and I honestly don't know which one but I think <laughs> it's gonna be these three are gonna impact uh, the games industry the most uh, I honestly don't know which one is gonna impact it the most that's my best answer I'm afraid. Yeah, that's all good. Give three answers and hopefully one's correct. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take this to uh, Volka. What do you think? Okay. Last two years taught me that it's very hard to plan and predict anything. That's why I would just do my best. Uh, and um, when I was thinking about this question, I also bear in mind these two factors like post-COVID era and inflation as something that would move the gaming development and also gaming uh, publishing. And uh, truth to say, I cannot say that we will see some drastic changes in 12 or 24 months because the cycle of development is usually longer. So we will see the uh, reaction to the uh, things that are happening in the world in some three or four years, I believe so. But also I was thinking that uh, bearing this situation in mind, investors and those big companies would stick to the patterns to, would stick to the games that worked. So it will be uh, more of development of the known IPs uh, and the gameplay that can be easily sold, like for example, first person shooters. Uh, but also the second thought I had is that uh, maybe due to some workflow uh, turnover, we can also notice some super indie developers uh, emerging <laughs> and maybe some super innovative games. That's again, that's uh, like thinking about the future, some super innovations. I don't know how it will evolve, but um, that's my idea. So how it can look like. I like it. Uh, Seb, over to you. What do you think? Big question. Uh, also got several answers on different kind of themes. Uh, I think uh, in, a, in a super, uh, very, very high level, um kind of answer how, how will the whole you know the economy and everything that's going around the world affect the, the industry the coming 12 to 24 months um 
I don't think that it's going to reduce the amount of time people play games because games are a pretty cheap way to entertain yourself. So I think it's actually going to be, if either it's going to not change or it's going to go up, I think. Um, I think that with, I, mean, I think it's, it's sufficient to say that, uh, you know, people are looking for hope a, a bit now, more than uh, they were before. And I think that escapism and kind of the stories that we can provide will, uh, you know, resonate uh, in times where the real world is not that cool, to be honest. Um, so hopefully that our industry can, can, can do that. I'm hoping this is not a this is not a trend spot thing or anything like that. It's more of kind of personal hope that we get more happy games uh, out of it the coming coming few months. I think that would probably be a good business decision, honestly. Um, in terms of, you know, real, uh, you know, if, if we're talking dollars and cents, I think there are, there's been, and, you know, the gaming industry has hardly been the only industry uh, flush with borrowed money, um, but it has been flush with borrowed money. And I think that when it gets harder to borrow money, it's going to be harder to uh, do things, right? So you're probably going to have, a few, uh, you know, a few companies who have uh, been a bit more conservative are probably going to have a better time now, and uh, some who have been super duper expensive are probably not going to have as good of a time now as they have in the past. Uh, but it all, you know, it all it, it ebbs and flows. But I think that uh, if you've been riding the kind of borrow a lot of money wave when we've had virtually zero interest rates, I think you're waking up with a bit of a headache today. Um, I hope that it's not going to affect the, I don't think it will, because like, as long as there's a lot of passionate people, which there are, you know, an abundance of in our industry, we'll, we'll always have those indie stars and those kind of next big things that are going to come up that nobody knew where they, where they came from. Uh, and I don't think that this kind of down economical downturn will affect it so much so that we, we think about it a lot. I certainly hope not, but but I mean, there's always a risk, right? Uh, a lot of these amazing projects that we've seen, especially, you know, Steam kind of indie hits that we've seen the past few years, comes down to one or two or three people who, who have been able to take time off and do this for five years of their life without knowing they're going to make their money back. And when you have, when you have interest rates, jumping up to like five, six, seven, eight percent, probably going to be harder to make that decision. But uh, I hope not. I, I think uh, I think we'll be all right. But um, but that's kind of an observation that I have uh, I, I have made about that. I was kind of all over the place. No, it's good because, yeah, I think it's very interesting. Uh, yeah, before I say too much, Jonas, I want to bring it back to you. What was your outlook on the game industry? Well, I think it's it's uh, it's like a couple of you have said that uh, this is a question of perspectives as well. Uh, so on one side, uh, the games industry has proven to be uh, very recession proof, um, and just like the just like the movie industry or Hollywood uh, came into being uh, during the Great Recession, uh, it turns out that that uh, entertainment is is not just the quote unquote entertainment; it is a necessity. We need escapism. We need hope. We need uh, we need access to things that uh, are 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 creative and, and speak to our soul and, and our hearts. Uh, so there's you need nourishment in all all forms, um, both food and, and nourishment for the soul. And games are an artistic medium, and like uh, every artistic medium, what they collectively, what art collectively projects is 
is uh, some sort of echo of our collective thoughts and hopes and fears and dreams. Um, and in that regard, I think that uh, that uh, we will we will probably come out of this as an industry uh, uh, pretty well uh, on on the on the in in terms of of of. Um, of uh, people uh, buying and playing games. Uh, I, I think we'll see the whole wholesome games uh, movement. Uh, I think we'll see that uh, really establish itself because I think a lot of people are looking for uh, games now that are more hopeful, more colorful, more um, a contrast of what they feel is going on in the real world right now. So I think those sort of games are actually going to uh, be some of the best sellers over the next coming years. Um, I think there will be an adjustment because, uh, like uh, Sebastian just uh, pointed out, money went from being almost free to very, very expensive uh, very, very quickly. Uh, that's going to mean an adjustment. It's going to mean that uh, um, a, a bunch of companies won't be set up. A bunch of companies will uh, unfortunately not make it because they'll be caught up in the middle of the storm. Uh, there will be a slowdown in the consolidation process because that needs to adjust as well, where uh, essentially the uh, the multipliers on value have been uh, quite insane over the, over the last uh, 18 to 24 months. Uh, so that will adjust itself as well. But all, all in all, I think these, these are all good things and necessary things for making sure that uh, the overall industry keeps uh, uh, being healthy. Uh, and then finally, I think brand recognition is going to matter uh, a lot uh, during the coming because when when people start to need to be uh, get even more picky with their, their money, they're not going to stop buying games, but they're going to be start being more picky in terms of where those dollars go. So I think brand recognition is going to start uh, counting for more. Um, and then finally, I think we'll see the re-emergence of the subscription-based MMO. And I think that will be the, the big trend. And the reason is that now we have a whole new generation of, of players and gamers that have been re-brought up in a subscription model world where you're used to paying a monthly subscription for Disney, for Netflix, for Games Pass, et cetera, et cetera. So it's now a very familiar model of what do I get if I pay this X amount of money each month? Uh, and my my I think that we'll see a, a, um, a re-emergence of the, the, the good old subscription-based MMO in the next few years. That would be really exciting because I'm trying to think like the best MMOs have come out recently and none come to mind, maybe because I don't play too many. But yeah, I grew up with that with RuneScape, at least for myself, and like, wow, um, for others. That would be very interesting if there's like a big new one that comes out that actually hooks people and keeps them for like decades uh, because of, you know, the current market. Awesome. I want to move on to Robin now. Robin, what is your question and the context behind it? So the, the short form question would be um, platform exclusivity, good or bad for, from a publisher or developer perspective. Um, again, I realize now, like, I don't know exactly how how much this is a thing in the mobile, mobile scene. Um, and the reason I'm asking the question, obviously, because like it is a very current topic. Uh, there's a lot of like big platforms out there, and they are usually trying to uh, compete with each other by uh, setting up exclusivity deals. And for anybody who's listening to the podcast, it's like the way that's typically set up is that uh, a a first party uh, platform holder will uh, negotiate with a publisher or developer and make a deal where you provide the game exclusively on their platform at least for a time period uh, and in return you get a fixed amount of money paid out usually a pretty significant amount of money um, so that's the the 
the topic I want to put forward to the group and hear your thoughts. Awesome. Let's start with Jonas. Uh, Jonas, what do you think about platform exclusivity? Uh, it's answering that as a, in a generic way is going to be really hard uh, because I do think it depends a lot on the type of game you have and what platform is willing to give it exclusivity. Um, because if you hit the right sort of game on the right platform and the offer of exclusivity is is um, uh, financially acceptable, it can be an absolutely brilliant thing to do. But for other games, it can be the, the most terrible thing. Like it, it's so dependent on the type of game you have on your hands. Uh, and, and of course, also, I mean, it needs to make sense. If you, if you go exclusive on a platform, it needs to be for uh, several reasons, not just, uh, you know, not just a monetary reason, but you need to think that this is long term, the healthiest thing to do for a game is to make it exclusive, at least for a period of time on a certain platform. Um, and if, if that holds up and you can, you can uh, make the case that that is, that, that, that that's a, a smart thing to do because it's going to give it that extra oomph that that platform will then do in terms of, of having it uh, front and center on their platform, in their campaigns, et cetera, et cetera, then, then it can be a very smart thing, but it's a, it's it, 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 it's dangerous if people are doing it just to get the exclusivity fee. Uh, I, th I think that then then you're not thinking it to the level that you need to. So so it's um, it's one of those double-edged swords, isn't that the saying? Uh, yes. So it can be very good, but uh, you can also cut yourself if you're not careful. Yep, hundred percent. I can see that. Uh, Seb, I want to come to you now. What are your thoughts? I think that the, I agree with Jonas. It, it for the for a publisher or for a, for a developer, I think it depends on the, it, it depends on the deal. It depends it depends on the pay. It depends on the um, you know. For some games, you'll have uh, you know one console will have the audience that you're looking for, and one kind of won't. So it would be more of an acquisition thing to go on that platform, and then you could maybe do it later. Uh, you know, there, there's a ton of different um, uh, reasons why you would or wouldn't. I don't think it's inherently bad for a publisher or a developer. Not inherently, no. Uh, I think it it depends, right? Um, for a developer, for example, it's easier to develop for one platform at a time rather than three, right? So, so there there are many aspects of it. Uh, I think that the danger can be long term for the uh, for the first party to do way too much exclusive like to put all their weight behind their their exclusives uh, and stop being a kind of a semi open platform so to speak like i think uh, if you send the signal that you know we have this a games that are for this platform and then we have you know the rest i think that's bad like in 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 a in a 10 20 year perspective that's pretty bad and that's you know that's one of the things that i think steam has done pretty pretty well where they've been you know they're they're not inherently good or bad it's just but they're open to most things right to most experiences and they, they would generally uh generally speaking they treat most things equal as long as you you sell right um uh, and, and that's something that I like. So, so uh, for a publisher and developer, not inherently bad, not inherently good. Depends on the game. Uh, I think that if you're a first party and you work and you just prioritize your own stuff all the time, then you're gonna have a problem with your player base at one point. I think that's my take. Nice, Volka. I'm very interested uh, in what you're thinking. Yeah, I'll add my two <laughs> cents on mobile because, as you can imagine, we. <laughs> 
don't have such a platform exclusivity thing in mobile world. So um, I percept uh, this platform exclusivity sometimes, like if we're speaking about consoles as more as hardware war. And in mobile, I cannot really imagine a lot of people buying iPhone just to play some specific game in Apple Arcade. That's why I don't think it's a sink of hardware at all in mobile. Uh, mostly that's, um, of course, the number of games in uh, Android and iOS, they're different. And most publishers tend to have their games in both biggest platforms and then to extend to, for example, Huawei store or Samsung store. Uh, and basically, it's not um, some branding decision. Sometimes just a development is easier for Android, for example, or it's easier to pass the approval uh, process in Android as well. That's why it's not a decision, like a big strategic decision. It's more operational one. Uh, and mm. uh, if we're speaking about like uh, console and PC, I think that uh, I can't in, uh, contribute a lot uh, in these questions. Uh, in this question, but again, uh, maybe a development cycle will be a little bit not a production hell, a little bit easier for the developer if he chooses to be only on one platform, and if it's also backed up with huge um, financial support from the uh, party, then it's it may be a nice uh, decision to make. No, thank you for that. Uh, Robin, I want to take it back to you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so, um, I mean, of course, uh, just like uh, both Jonas and Seb said, uh, it's always going to depend. So obviously the, the question wasn't meant for, like, there should be a binary answer to this. Like, that's not uh, that's not my expectation either. Um, but uh, one of the things I always find hard with platform exclusivity deals is, uh primarily the fact that you are uh like you're picking one uh market segment or something uh, and you're basically losing out on everybody else uh the upside is of course usually the minimum guarantee uh in terms of financial goals um but then again uh whatever money you might be making there you might also be losing out uh, on a lot of the other platforms again depending on what deal you're actually looking at and what platforms are going to be affected and how um but one of the things I think a lot of people rarely realize as well is that in some cases you might have a, a developer or a relatively small publisher um, and they are like whenever they choose to, to develop a game, they are taking a huge risk. Like it's not necessarily easy to, to develop a game over multiple years, release it and like it could be a pretty good game, but it might still not sell. Uh, and all of a sudden you have a company in financial crisis because it doesn't pay pay off. Uh, and then the minimum guarantee actually offers uh, the company a lot of safety. Like we know that we can pay our our staff uh, salary. Like we know that we can make it through this. Like our worst case scenario is a lot less worse right now with deal like this. And I think it's something that's often overlooked from like a market perspective where like, because I think the, the general sentiment around platform exclusivity is that it isn't very nice. Like as a customer, I prefer to be able to choose where to play my game as much as possible. Uh, and when it's exclusive to a specific uh, platform, I might not have access to it or I might just not like the idea that I need to cr like create another account, register, etc. And like start playing the game somewhere else than where I usually uh, prefer to do it. Uh, but I like also what Jonas said about like long-term perspective is kind of like what is strategically the best uh, for for this particular game. Um, 
and everything. So you don't just make a short-term decision uh, based on solely money. Uh, and if you are able to like look ahead a lot further, uh, think about what the future of your game is supposed to be. But I mostly wanted to hear people's thoughts on it, and I'm happy I got the chance to do that. Awesome. I'm just thinking in terms of like Game Pass, because doesn't that change a lot? Because if something is available on a subscription model, um, I don't know if that counts as platform exclusivity in the sense that, let's say Microsoft give you a bunch of money, you know, put it on the Game Pass, but I've seen cases where a game's on a Game Pass, but you can still buy it if you want to. So has anyone got any thoughts on that? Like, does that, like, when would you make that decision to basically make it so it's very hard for someone to say, oh, I'm going to spend 50 pounds on this game, but I could get it on Game Pass. So does that affect things? Robin, what do you think? So uh, best guess here, because I can't, I can't, uh, I don't necessarily have the whole truth. But as far as I know, uh, usually when you're on Game Pass or something like that, it means that you've made some sort of exclusivity deal, at least that is uh, console based. Uh, so if you, if you release your game on Game Pass, you're probably not releasing the game uh, on like a premium model on like PlayStation at the same time as far as I know, but I could be wrong and anybody else, please correct me if I am. Uh, but then again, you rarely see any kind of exclusivity between like PC platforms and console platforms, for example. So you could release it on Game Pass, uh, but you could still like release it on Steam at the same time too. Mm, yeah, I think that makes sense because I guess that would be two different markets. So it wouldn't kind of annoy uh, the person, like the game people behind the Game Pass. Uh, Seb, you raised your hand first. What, what are you thinking? Well, first, I, I think uh, I think you can have it on Game Pass and everywhere else if you you know if you strike that sort of deal. I don't think they have a like rule against it. Uh, it depends on the deal that you make, I think. Um, I think that Game Pass up until like we'll see when that if that moment ever comes where it's you know it's the Netflix of games. I think we're pretty far away from that honestly. Um, uh, but right now, to me, Game Pass is a great way to get new users that wouldn't really try your game otherwise. And if they really like it, your game is not going to stay, stay on Game Pass forever and they'll have it installed. Um, you know, if they want to keep playing it, they can buy it when, when it goes off uh, or you renew your Game Pass subscription, right? Um, I think that's a great win-win situation for like everyone. Uh, it depends on what kind of game you have. Like you have, if you have a game that's going to be over in two hours, then, you know, I, I would make a different, uh, you know, a different call on that. But you know, I, I speak from from Paradox perspective, which is we usually have high replayability is kind of our, our hallmark. And um, in that uh, regard, I think that uh, Game Pass for us is just a great opportunity to introduce, you know, fairly complex games to a new audience uh, that would necessarily not play it. And and you know, if they if they have once it goes off and we, you know, they're in they're in the loop, so to speak. They're probably going to buy it. Um, so, so I say mostly it does a good thing for now. Nice. Until uh, they dominate the world, <laughs> that, then it's not going to be a good thing anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jonas, uh, final thoughts on platform exclusivity? Well, I think that, that uh, if we continue just the, the, the conversation around Game Pass, I think that uh, that sort of model is really great for smaller developers and indie publishers because we are not necessarily playing in the broad triple A audience pool um so so for us it it uh it is a way to both deal risk and and also to even tap into audiences that we would not necessarily be be exposed to otherwise uh so we've actually seen that be a benefit rather than a hindrance on other paid platforms uh 
then also, I mean, if you have a, a strong DLC model like Paradox has with most other games, then Game Pass is excellent because the base game is part of Game Pass, but the DLCs are not. Um, so, so I mean, it, again, if you're smart about it, it can be a very, very good model. The same as with exclusivity in general, uh, but you need to be smart about it. You need to think about the, the holistic picture of it and what you're getting uh, and what you're losing. Nice. I love that. All right, let's move on to the final question, which is Volha. What is your question and the context behind it? So my question is, uh, is influencer marketing a trend that will fade or the new key way of promoting your game? Uh, why I'm asking it? Because I often ask this question myself because we, just to say, we haven't tested yet like a robust strategy for influencer marketing. We did test here and there, but... I understand that such a big media should have a, a good approach, a smart approach. And that's why I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Awesome. I'm going to take that to Robin because I think he had uh, a few experiences in influence marketing. Robin, what are you thinking? I don't think it's a trend, personally. Um, I think, I mean, uh, it's anybody's guess how long it's going to stay like very relevant. But I have a hard time seeing uh, influencer influence, uh, no pun intended, uh, go away. I think this is a, a good way of both for a source of entertainment, but also a source of information in a way. Like where you might in the past have bought, uh, I don't know, magazines to get different like uh, curation of products that you are interested in uh, or something. I think influencer channels are now a very good sort of substitute for that or a, uh, an option at least. Um, I know even myself who uh, was kind of slow to get on board on that as a, as a consumer. Uh, I consume a lot of influencer content these days. Uh, funnily enough, it went up quite a bit during the pandemic. <laughs> a lot of YouTube hours. Uh, but no, I think it's good. Um, I think I think influencers are going to be stay very relevant for quite some time. Cool. I want to bring that to Jonas. Jonas, what are your thoughts? Well, I think uh, influencers have always been around and are always a part of any creative medium. I just think they've become visible now through channels that allow them to be, be mass consumed, to influence a lot more people at once. Uh, and it's much more visible to us uh, as, as as an industry. But I mean, we have, we have stories, but like, you know, RuneScape uh, um, uh, distributed itself through uh, English school communities uh, through an influencer network that nobody had any control over. Uh, the, 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 the same with music, the same with books. I mean, influencers have always been around and, and uh, are, are a very vital fact of, of, uh, of uh, a market like ours, but now they're visible. What will change is the channels and they are changing. Uh, we've gone through a period of, of Twitch and, and YouTube, uh, but now we're seeing the rise of TikTok and, and that's going to have an effect. Uh, and, and other mediums that we can't even predict at this point. But the, the main thing that's changed is the visibility and the accessibility of the influencers. Um, and that's, that's, that, that is simply not going away. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a much brighter aspect of uh, uh, the, the, the social network effect that in general terms I, I think is a very bad thing. But uh, in this particular case, I'm okay with it. That's funny. Uh, I want to take that to Seb now. Seb, what are you thinking? No, I completely agree with that. I think, um, uh, and it, it depends on what you mean uh, with the question, I guess. But uh, um, it's it's 
influencers or or you know they're, they're just micro micro celebrities in a way right like and uh, it's it's um uh yeah it's not going away I, I don't think it's ever not not existed in a way uh like jonas uh, like jonas says it's kind of like the it, it reminds me of the discussion reminds me of and i think it's a good question right it's a great question but the discussion reminds me of of uh, when i went to university like 12 years ago something like that and uh, they had this specific course which was called like the social media like course in marketing and they're like what it's not you know and they were still talking about it as this like separate thing and you know it's not a separate thing it's just it's media it's just it, it's media with another feature right and um, i think it's the same thing with influencers it's just that we, like jonah said we consume it more uh i don't think it's going away i think um we're probably going to get smarter and smarter with how we, uh, you know, pay for it, sell it, uh, target it, uh, use it in marketing in general. Uh, but it's not going going away. No, I'm I'm pretty um, I'm pretty happy with um, with how it is. You know, uh, I, I really like using it in my marketing kind of media mix these days because it makes it very very easy. If you know your influencers and you know what they play, then you know their audiences, and then it's much easier than it was 20 years ago when you had to buy a TVC, right? And you're gonna hit you know a hundred percent. Uh, of the people, uh, you know, at that time on that channel, but only one percent of them are actually going to be relevant. I think if you hit the right influencer, you're going to have like most of the people watching are going to be relevant buyers to your to your product, and uh, that's uh, great. I think that's great for the consumer. It's great for the marketer. It's great for the company. Um, so I, I hope it's not going away anytime soon. Awesome. Well, huh? I want to bring it back to you. What's been your impression? Uh. First of all, thank you for the answers. Uh, I would have definitely a second thought about stepping on this ground of influencer, uh, of influencer marketing. Uh, the thing that uh, stopped us at the moment was that uh, our game is a casual match three game with great story. And our audience is mostly people who do not identify themselves as gamers, like broad audience think of gamers as these guys with consoles uh, playing in the nights and spending all the time on it. And uh, sometimes it's hard to find these relevant channels that you were mentioning when we were discussing the first question. These very channels that, um, that our uh, audience can relate to and they would be interested and at the same time these ads would seem natural because for example if our audience is interested in games like casual games and also in, for example gardening and at some point the channel about gardening would say oh I've played this game you would know from the first second that this is a paid ad so it's it became very obvious uh, in Instagram and YouTube that oh okay now it's now it's paid. But uh, yeah, I really like the uh, idea of Jonas that it's not so it influencing. It's not the media channels that we use. So it's just a big, huge chunk of marketing, but the services are just different. So now it's mainly TikTok. Beforehand, it was mainly Instagram. So I really like this idea of not just sticking to one channel, but sticking to the this idea of sharing the uh, the game with the suitable audiences via the uh, via the uh, influencers whom they trust. So that's a really nice idea. Thank you. Nice, I like it. Uh, I'll have one question, guys, because um, in my head, as a consumer, an influencer paid ad, at least for me, very obvious. 
And I was thinking based on what Volga said, like her target market probably wouldn't work on a platform like YouTube, at least in my head, and maybe on TikTok, it would work really well because they're already there. Uh, so I wanted to ask a question, how do you incentivize like in an influencer playing your game without paying them? How, how do you do it without paying them? Um, anyone got any ideas on that? Seb, what are you thinking? Have a game they like to play, honestly. Like it, it's, it's uh, I think we, I don't think we should strive to get people to do things that they don't want and if and, and if we do then we need to pay them to do that and they need to be upfront that we're paying them to do that uh, i don't have a problem with like paid influencers honestly i think it's great and uh, as long as you're upfront about like this is a paid piece everyone should know that uh but here's a showcase right like that's that's great uh, but like have, have a game that's fun to play for them and that they you know every content creator will tell you that they do they pick and choose based on the audience and what they you know their audience wants uh so make sure that you uh know who likes what types of content and that you understand their audience and uh, then you'll get them to play it um they're always looking for more content right that's not the problem the problem is finding the right content that your audience wants to watch um so, so i think that's it's as simple as that really nice and i like the fact that you said a game that's fun to play but then you add it on uh on the content side like if it's fun to watch as well then you get double whammy um if you make a game that's fun to play and fun to watch yeah you don't really need to go you know forcing games down people's throats because they would want to play it uh jonas what are you thinking i think it's also a question of finding your influencers uh and not necessarily get stuck in the channels i think one of the most brilliant marketing strategies for uh, in, in 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 this millennium by any games company was uh, how Rovio got uh, Angry Birds revived because because it had already come out and it did nothing originally, but uh, but they they then uh, figured out a way to to really get it up there, uh, which centered around contacting hundreds if not thousands of, of mommy bloggers, which was a thing back in back in that day. Nordic mommy bloggers in Norway, in Sweden, in 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 Denmark, and then they went further, went to the UK, they went to Germany and they hand wrote messages to all of these all of these bloggers and they found their influencer audience and it was brilliant it was a brilliant campaign so I think it's also a question of this find your find your influencers and don't get stuck in the channels sometimes you need to think outside the box and that's that's fine too I don't think that's just fine I think that's the way to do it right uh, awesome guys I think we'll leave it there uh this has been the evo gaming podcast i want to take this opportunity to thank jonas sebastian robin and volka for providing their insights and thank you everyone at home for listening if you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts or just want to chat reach out to me on linkedin at harry foku foku spelled p-h-o-k-o-u thank you all for listening